welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Good morning. It's good to be uh, back with you again. Uh, continuing a conversation that we really started last week uh, and will continue on for some number of weeks. We want to look at what Jesus might possibly have meant when he said, I want to give you life and not life uh, uh, of, uh, of what you have previously experienced, but life of abundance, an abundant life. Um, and we're not sure what that means all the time. Sometimes we think of it in terms of just life that goes on and on, so there's a, 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 a quant- quantitative component to it. Uh, and it may include that, um, but more specifically, I think Jesus is talking about life of the new age, life of a qualitatively different kind that invites us into um, uh, an exploration of maybe the life that we were built for in the first place. And as part of that conversation, we want to look back at what uh, it means to be human. What does it mean to be a person? So last week we started the conversation uh, with just a reflection on what it means to be a soul, to have a body but not be a body, to have a spirit but not be a spirit, to have this uh, intersectionality between physical and spiritual that is the soul. So you both are a soul and you have a soul. So the, the soul becomes the kind of the operating system that makes all of this work together. And uh, it is with that in mind that we're gonna be then looking at the five dimensions of the soul, physical, emotional, uh, social, intellectual, and spiritual at, at, over the next several weeks. Uh, and tonight, uh, today particularly, uh, however, we want to look at the purpose for which God created us in the first place. That is to exercise care, to exercise stewardship, to exercise responsible life on, the, on and for the planet. So you remember from Genesis chapter one, it became quickly clear that God created us to be his image, to be his ambassador, to be his representative, and as such, to care for the planet. Uh, So we want to look at that a little bit more fully and then to look even more pointedly at what it might look like to care for the part of the creation that is us. What does it mean to be a steward of your soul? Uh, What does it mean to care well for the self that is you? Right, so that that's kind of the where I want to want to go uh, this morning. We'll be looking at uh, 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 Psalm eight. I just about said Genesis one, but we've been looking at way too much. So we're going to look at Psalm eight, uh, which says largely the same thing, um, and 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 that's not insignificant, right? As we as we read through the text of Scripture, we want to pay attention to the t- numbers of times that things are revisited because that obviously then signals uh, its importance and its uh, uh, significance to us. So we look at Psalm 8, where the psalmist is reflecting on this amazing wonder. He says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. 
Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. So when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have set in place, what is humankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels. You have crowned them with glory and honor. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, flocks and herds and animals in the wild and birds in the sky and fish in the sea, all that swim in the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So this psalm begins bookending the point of it all. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So the, 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 the telos, the focal point, the purpose of creation is not simply its enjoyment, not simply its celebration, but the reflection of his majesty, his glory. Uh, Hebrew um, has this beautiful way, the language of glory is the language of revelation. It's how God shows up, it's how God is seen. Glory is the, the, the medium of revelation. So when it says the earth is filled with your glory, he's saying if we have eyes to see, if we have ears to hear, if we will notice, we will discover your glory, who you are revealed everywhere we look. That's the beauty of creation. From the, from the power of the night sky out at Joshua Tree to the tiniest little globe caught in a dewdrop, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We stand sometimes bowled over by the wonder of uh, the waves crashing on the rocks. There's just something magical, isn't there? about where water meets land, whether it's a lake or a river or a brook or a stream or the ocean crashing in. But there's also something unbelievably austerely majestic about the endless stretches of the desert, of the, of the, of the desert that springs for a moment in this spring bloom like we had last year, earlier this year that just vibrated with the glory of God, right? And you see it maybe in the, in the dunes up and down the Oregon coast and you, you, or you go to the Grand Canyon or you go uh, to, to my homeland and you see the Canadian Rockies and you just realize, holy cow, this is a... And then you move over to other parts of the world and you discover that beauty speaks in multiple languages. Beauty speaks in multiple languages accents you see the beauty of the the, the 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 mediterranean which is different than the beauty of the pacific is different than the beauty of the adriatic the black sea has its own vibrance compared to the caspian sea in fact when we think about the beauty and wonder and glory of creation compare is not even a word that ought to exist in the vocabulary each part is uniquely vibrating with the glory of God. How majestic is your name in all the earth. Now the truth is, 
It's possible to see a sunrise and just know it's morning. Just to not pay attention to the fact. One of the things that I've discovered uh, is that sometimes I don't greet the morning with as much enthusiasm as the rest of the creation does. (laughs) Anybody else find yourself that way? Uh, Birds are, oh God, it's morning, and I'm, oh. God, it's morning. It's a different vibration, right? And that's because the birds know things about the creation that I'm still learning. I still have things to learn about the wonder of life emerging from the darkness and the promise that comes from death to life. You'll notice that back at the story of creation that darkness and light are not oppositional to one another. Light arises out of darkness. Darkness is also a place in which God is glorified. And God, in fact, there are the things that you will discover in the darkness of the glory of God that you won't see in the light, right? How majestic is your name in all the earth? And then what is... What is humankind that you are mindful of us? And yet you, you, you have made us a little lower. And here's where the translation goes sideways for me. Because the Hebrew does not say angels. The Hebrew says Elohim, which is the name for God. You have made us a little lower than God. We serve in this, remember we talked about this last week, this intermediary role between the heavenly and the earthly, between the spiritual and the material, yeah? So he has made us for this interspace, in between. He's built us to to look with love on the creation he has made and look with adoration on the creator who made it. And to invite us then, he says, you've put us in charge of all creation. Now that clearly can't mean supervision. It can't mean we don't get to boss it around. You'll probably notice that butterflies don't take well to supervision. You try hurting cats, try hurting butterflies. So whatever else stewardship means, It does not mean you get to tell it what to do. What it means is this idea that stewardship pieces that we're developing is that this, the earth is the Lord's, the psalmist says, and the fullness thereof. And he has said to us who are his image, now here, take care of it. Take care of it. Mind it for me. Don't mind it as if you owned it. Remember, it's mine. But as long as you care well for it, I have no problem with you reveling in its glory and beauty. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. Right? That's what stewardship means. And the realization secondarily that we will give an account for how well we've cared for the planet. We will give an account for how carefully we enabled its flourishing. And, and, and of course, uh, th- this, this idea of flourishing is, is a critical piece and we ought, pe- that's why I believe that people who are, 
are, are disciples of Jesus, people who are members of the kingdom, ought to be leading the charge in environmental concern and care. Not dragging our feet and being persuaded finally that this actually matters. That's in fact why we are on the planet. It's one of the problems, if I can just be really, really blunt about growing up in the evangelical tradition within which I grew up. I love it, I'm very grateful for it, but it ultimately created a sense of almost disdain for the earth because the goal was to get to heaven as fast as you could. Anybody recognize that? And, and, and the tragedy, of course, is we're not built for heaven. <laughs> Sorry to break it to you, but you're not going. It's coming here. That's according to Revelation, right? I'm not making this stuff up. You can read it for yourself, which means that we better stop pooping in our backyard. We better, we better start caring for the, why do we care for the planet? Because it's our home. It's where we live. It's where we are designed to live. It will be redeemed. It will be renewed. But in the meantime, we have responsibility to care well for it. And, and, and that works itself out in a variety of ways, including using our God-given capacity as the image of God with relentless creativity to care wisely and well for its resources. Exploitation is not stewardship. So we wanna be careful. We wanna be good stewards of the creation that God has given us uh, because it is his reflection, it is his majesty, and in its flourishing is our flourishing. We care for the earth. And, and, and while I'm at this, uh, I should probably mention that this idea of rulership, we need to learn from God. How does he care for the planet? And you'll notice in Genesis chapter one that consistently at the end of each creative day, he says of his creation that day, this is good, which is, we've talked about this, this Hebraism that means it works. It works. Please notice what God is doing there is releasing his creation with capacity, but without control. The structures of order are built in. God says, this is gonna work. This is, and same Hebrew word, this is beautiful. It operates. So that's, that's our task, right? Relative to the creation is to, is to create the environment within which the, the aspects and elements of creation can, can flourish, can, 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 can be, if you will, what they are. So while we don't supervise butterflies, we do create environments within which their full butterfliness can emerge. I'm being silly, but not. We care for it. And then we work very, very hard. If we notice that we're, we're damaging it, we, 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 we cut it out. Uh, and because we are the image of God, our unintended consequence can have serious deleterious effects on the planet. So we wanna pay attention. We wanna notice, we wanna study. We wanna lead the way in care for the environment, yeah? That is part of what it means for us to be, and by the way, I should probably say, 
that that releasing with capacity and without control also applies to relationships, the people you're sitting beside, the kids you raise, the person you end up marrying if you marry, your friends that you walk with. That's what it means to empower them, to release them into their own lives with celebration and without controlling outcomes. That's what God does. That's what he invites us to do as well. We care for the earth. And when we do, the earth is glad for us to enjoy the benefits of its flourishing. In fact, the earth, Romans chapter 8, is waiting, waiting to explode in wonder till the time when we finally remember who we are and get our act together. So, I mean, because you look, I mean, it is a pretty stunning creation out there, yeah? You hold a rose, you hold, I love flowers, you hold and smell the fragrance of flowers. But you, or you look at the purple mountain majesties, whatever it is you want to do, that's what a fallen creation looks like. Can you imagine what is waiting to emerge when we remember who we are and it can trust us again. Yeah? But the other thing you gotta remember is that you're also a part of his creation. Here's what it says in Psalm 139, verse 14. I wish we had time to read the whole Psalm, but this one verse captures what I'm after. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know it full well. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Sit with that for a couple or three hours. When was the last time? Whenever have we looked in the mirror and said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You're as much a part of the creation as the rest and share therefore in the stewardship of yourself, in the care for the self that is you. We are part, because I mentioned this to you last week, as we, as, as we, as we look at this creation and revel in its majesty, which points to the majestic name of God, we, 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 we see aspects of it that just capture our heart, yes? Some of us are moved to tears by the beauty that is just stunning in its overwhelming capacity. Yeah? And we ought, we ought be that way. We ought be that way. But again, when you ask God, which is the thing of which, if I can use this language, he is proudest in his creation, he will say, you are. You are. It doesn't get better than you. This is what everything's for. This is why I did it all. This is where everything was heading towards. You're the crowning achievement. 
of creation. And it could be that you, when looking in the mirror, think that he's wrong. Can I just say, when you and God disagree, you're wrong. <laughs> That's the stance of humility. Humility is not thinking poorly of myself in comparison to other people. Humility is thinking accurately of myself in comparison to what God says. And pride works in one of two ways. It either works positively, I think more highly of myself than I ought to think, but it also works negatively. I think more lowly of myself than I ought to think. In either case, I am disagreeing with God about the fundamental reality of the universe. That's prideful. If he says you are fearfully and wonderfully made, your response is, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. <laughs> that is bringing you in alignment with reality. And therefore, we have now a place to go. If, if, if we're out of alignment with that core reality, it doesn't matter how well you go from there on out. It's my first button, second hole thing. Right? Remember that? If you put the first button in the second hole, it really doesn't matter how well you button thereafter. <laughs> if we don't get first button, first hole, agreement with God about what is true concerning us, we will inevitably end up wrong. So he invites us into this wonder that is our own lives. Here is Jesus. One of the teachers of the law came to him. They heard Jesus debating with the various groups and noticing that he had given them a good answer, this man asked Jesus, of all of the commandments, which is the most important? You know the answer. The most important one, said Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. You catch it, we've talked about it before. The link between loving God well and loving neighbor well is loving self well. If I don't love myself, if I don't agree with God about what's true concerning me, I will love my neighbor as a parasite. I will love my neighbor as a way that does harm to him or her. Anybody been loved too much as a way of the loving of self? This is why Jesus is so rapid. He says it over and over again. And we slip by it. When I grew up, I, 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 uh, we had a, a chorus in, in what we called Sunday school back in the day. Anybody remember that? I was thank you hello so so we, we, we would do we would gather together and we'd sing songs and and Jesus and others and you what a wonderful way to spell joy except it's not biblical it's a lousy way also to spell joy by the way <laughs> because if you do it in that order you'll never get around to loving yourself well you will get drawn into the black hole that is loving of neighbor So we are invited into this awareness of what it means to be human, to be a, a, a connection between 
what loving God and, and, and loving neighbor in the loving of and stewardship of the gift that is our own lives. This isn't selfish. It feels sometimes like that and other people will try and make it that. But it really at the end of the day is actually better for them as well as it is for you. So when we think through this, um, while we're at it, we should probably notice this is, this is the essence of the gospel too, isn't it? How do people know that we are his disciples? How do people know that we have been shaped, formed, framed by following Jesus? How do people know, Jesus himself says it, how do people know that he came from the Father in the first place? With a revolutionary way of life. Well, because we who are his disciples love one another. How? As he loved us. That love of Christ for us translates, it has to translate to love of self as Christ loves us so that we can love others as we love ourselves. This is the nature of the gospel. We're invited into it. There has this, 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 this deep work of the kingdom that's being done. In a nutshell, to love uh, another is to wish and work and want for their best, for the good of the other. And that's what it means relative to even my love uh, for myself. So we wanna spend the last few minutes talking about loving the soul that God loves in the way that God loves him or her. We should probably just stop for one split second and notice that part of, God doesn't, God doesn't love us because he has to. I'm God, so <laughs> have to love him. No, it's an expression of his, his, his beauty, his goodness. But it, here's another way, Paul, Paul gets a hold of this in Ephesians and he says, you know what you are, right? You are his, and unfortunately the English translates it usually workmanship, which while somewhat technically absent, uh, accurate, misses the point of the Greek underneath. The Greek speaks of a poem, of a, of a creative work of art. You are the song that he sings. You are the poem that he writes. You are the dance that he dances. All of those words work as translation of that same word. God not only loves you, he likes you. There is affection. His heart is stirred. I got to spend yesterday or part of the day yesterday with my middle son. Uh, he was buying a car and needed me to drive him up, and so we got three, two or three hours together. I loved being with my boy. Loved being with, it, 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 oh, thanks, Dad. Didn't want to put, are you kidding? To spend three hours with you is not an onerous task. It was the best part of my day. When you walk in the room, God stands up, his eyes gleaming with love for you.
it's critical that you let that image sink in. Because sometimes I think we believe that the look in God's eyes when he sees us is something other than that. And it is not. It is not. So when he looks at us, when he invites us into this, we want to love the self, to love the soul that God loves. So, so when, we, when, when we, oh, while I'm at this, I might as well just offend somebody else. <laughs> if you believe that you don't deserve to be loved like this, you're right. So, God loves you like that whether you deserve it or not. Please notice then, our belief that we don't deserve to be loved like this doesn't change the reality. It changes our acceptance of that reality. If I don't believe I deserve to be loved like this, I will act as if I don't deserve to be loved like this, not as if I am loved like this, which actually happens to be true. So it undermines the very fact of what is true. It doesn't change the reality. It changes how I live out of there. If God loves you ridiculously, which he does, why not take advantage of it and live as if it were true? Do you, do you see what I'm after here? This is this invitation to the, to the wonder of your own life as it is. So we are invited into this deep and profound awareness that, that, that whether we are worthy or not, by the way, there's nobody that's worthy of this. It doesn't root in us. He loves us out of who he is and invites us then to become who we are. This is ultimately humility. Humility, which we'll develop here in a, in, a, in a couple minutes. You have to believe how good you are. You have to believe how beautiful you are. Those two words, back to Genesis chapter one, same words. You have to believe, why? Because it's true, it's true. Not beautiful if, not good when, now, now. You have to look at yourself and invite, because one of the things we end up doing is, is viewing ourselves competitively or comparatively. Anybody recognize that, 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 that black hole? I would be beautiful if, and then we fill in the blanks. If I were smarter, or if I were funnier, or if I uh, weighed less, or weighed more, or was taller, or shorter, or had different hair. If you were any of those things, it wouldn't be you that was beautiful. It would be somebody else. Oh, we already have one of those. What we don't have is you leaning into your beauty with thanksgiving. Do you see? Uh, and, and, and this is what we're, in, we're invited to in, in, in this deep and profound awareness because humility at its core begins with an accurate self-concept, then leverages to a positive self-regard, which is indicated by thanksgiving. And then it moves to unself-consciousness, to be able to live completely and utterly free without any 
necessary awareness of what anybody, including me, thinks of me. Just living with freedom. So we're invited into this. You can't live, uh, love yourself comparatively or competitively, uh, and, 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 and we have to push back against uh, this, this prideful um, uh, if-then on if-when kind of, kind of a dynamic. And the, and the way that I'm gonna invite you to do this, maybe take two or three hours or an hour or however long you can take it, this afternoon maybe, and just invite Jesus to sit with you and look in that five-dimensional mirror. Social, intellectual, emotional, physical, spiritual. Look in that five-dimensional mirror. And, and I, I, mean, I mean look. Because statistically, you know the story. We, we, we rarely even see ourselves in the one-dimensional mirror that hangs in our bathroom over the sink. We look at parts and then move on as quickly as we can from the parts that we would rather not see or notice. We look with intention to address things, and then we move on. Look with the eyes of a lover at the self that is loved by God. And ask Jesus to hold your hand, because it takes some courage to do this. It really does, doesn't it? It's really hard to be loved like this, yeah? Uh, and, and ask Jesus to hold your hand uh, as you start to notice, where do you asterisk your goodness? Where do you asterisk your beauty? When do you, if then? Do, do, do you see what, what I'm doing here? So, so, so you look at the gift of your body. I use that language very deliberately because we don't typically, many of us at least, think of bodies as a gift, but it is. It is. Notice, where do you asterisk? If I lost weight, then I would be beautiful. True? No, you wouldn't. If you want to lose weight because you're beautiful, that's fine. But not so that. Do you see? Because sooner or later, what's going to happen? You'll get another metric. You'll get another criteria. Somebody, some other judge will vote. Right? So, so you have to, and, and by the way, any of the changes that may need to be made cannot be made except from the gaze of love. You have to start with acceptance. You have to start with acceptance in love of the self that you are. Where do you, and, and, and by the way, can I be honest? It gets more challenging the older you get. Because, you know, whether you take care of it or not, the body lets you know on a consistent, regular basis that it's, it's, it's checking out <laughs> at some point. You notice? As you get older, you, you, you start to grow hair in places that God never intended hair to grow, apparently. <laughs> and you can't grow it in places that you think would be a good place to grow it. It's like, how does this, or, 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 you're, or, or, you're, or, or you, you just realize that the body is this, this, this whoopee cushion of crazy that every once in a while just makes these rude noises and you can't think for your, how in the world does this, and God and the angels are just cracking up because they're the ones that designed the plumbing. <laughs> Say yes and thank you. There is nothing that will humble you faster than your immediate and direct connection to the dirt from which you 
were molded than the embrace as it is of your physical body which God delights in. Take good care of it. What do you ask to risk your intelligence? Do you do it by comparison? If I could only read it, think, or whatever as, as much as this person does, then I would be smart. No, no, no. You'd be smart like him, but not smart like you. We already have him. What we need is you. We need you to be smart in your own way. Yeah? So, oh, I have a reading disability. I, I struggle with, 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 with reading. Yeah, okay. Say yes and thank you to the gift of your intelligence. That, that's hard for us, right? Because we have this idea that when all of the pieces are in place and everything, no, 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 no. We, we, it's, it's one of the reasons why it took me six years for my bachelor's degree, 13 years for my master's, eight years for my doctorate. Because I just read so slow, the letters get all mixed up in there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So say yes and thank you and get on with it. Stop making excuses, do the stuff. It takes me longer. I had this conversation two weeks ago with a student. It just takes me so long to read the book as if he expected me to adjust the assignments <laughs> for his slowness. No, 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 that means you'll need to budget more time than anybody else then. You know what I mean? Or, or, or I'm socially awkward. Yep, you really are. <laughs> Get a keeper. Get somebody who can follow you around and say, no, you don't want to be doing that right now. Just, <laughs> and trust them. Trust them. <laughs> you, you, but you, you, know what I'm, you, you know what I'm saying. Oh, I cry. I cry way too much. I cry at, at, at commercials. <laughs> Buy stock in Kleenex and live with the gift of your emotions. You gotta start with where you are. You can't start anywhere else but where you are. Right? And you start with love, with that long, lingering gaze of love, then the receiving of your life with gratitude. Then you can offer it up and get on about the business of living with freedom. We are invited in. By the way, part of the embrace of the self will be the embrace of the parts of you that you don't like, that you loathe, that you are embarrassed about or ashamed of or wished had never happened or wished were not the case. Everybody, everybody has those aspects of themselves in any one of those five and many of us in all five of those dimensions. And the temptation is to say, I gotta work this out and then I'll come. Here's the problem. You don't know, A, what is authentically you that God wants to utilize and what part you have cobbled on as part of the false self. You don't know. So you're gonna be getting in there and rooting around trying to get stuff out that actually is part of the original equipment. 
that needs to be there because of your role as the image of God. You're not, sorry, but you're not that smart. None of us are. So we, be, we, offer, we bring it all. Oh, I wish I wasn't so angry all the time. I know, bring it. I wish I wasn't dealing with lust all the time. I know, bring it. I wish I wasn't so slothful. Bring it. Why? Because you're not good at dealing with it on your own. And who knows what might occur? Is it possible that your anger is at root a quest, a longing for justice? We need you. We need you. And God is the only one with his long lingering gaze at your anger that can redeem it and teach you how to be angry in ways that are productive rather damaging. So if you're trying to deal with this on your own, A, you're not gonna do it, and B, you're probably gonna throw stuff out that he's gonna need later. Do, do you see what I'm after here? And we could do that with any of the seven deadly sins or the other aspects of your character that you just assume were not part. Bring them, bring them. That's why there's 150 Psalms, some of which are angry and bitter and resentful and complaining. Why? Because the psalmist knew better than to try and deal with that stuff on his own. Bring it in. And while we're at it, we might as well embrace the parts of us that have been done damage to by other people's pain. Some of us sit here this morning and we are still vibrating with comments and physical actions and the brutalities that we have experienced as kids or maybe as adults. Didn't deserve any of that. You're right, you didn't. But it happened. Bring it. It's part of your beauty now. If you don't bring it, you've got to figure out how to redeem it on your own. If you bring it, what wonder might God emerge out of that embraced darkness? I wish it had never happened to you. I really do. But it did. So don't waste your pain. Bring it. There are things that I have done, and because it's not just stuff that, that has been done to me, yeah? It's things that I've done to other people that I'm embarrassed about, I'm ashamed of. I wish to God had never happened, but they did. Bring it. It's part of the self that God loves and that he will redeem and renew. We're invited into this wonder. God does amazing things with the dirt, doesn't he? Look around. Because that's all y'all are. It's a lively pile of dirt into which God has breathed the life of the heavens. And we're invited to celebrate. Maybe we should also say that part of the loving of the self is the forgiving of the self. Anybody recognize that you might need to forgive you? Forgiveness is what makes life change possible, not the other way around. God doesn't forgive us when we repent. He forgives us so we can repent. 
That's what enables repentance, is the kindness of God in forgiving us. Yeah, that's the life change that occurs. We have to do the same thing with us. That's part of loving the self. So I'm gonna invite you into that place of stillness. I'm gonna invite you to consider, especially over these next several weeks as we look at each aspect, to consider what it might mean for you to love the you that God is crazy about. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.